Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. How many of you guys gave yourself that pep talk in the morning, mirror this morning? Okay, I did. This is my first time preaching here at the park, and Mike has left some really big shoes to fill, so yeah, I totally did. I gave that to me today. But really, don't all of us do some version of that in the mornings? Now, you may not give yourself the old Stuart Smalley, but at some point, you look into yourself in the mirror, and you take stock, and you go, okay, I got this. You look at this rat's nest bedhead, and you go, okay, I need to fix this. So you comb it out, hairspray it up, right? Or you look at your face, fellas, and we go, okay, yeah, I need to shave. Or ladies, you know, you'll look at your face and put the makeup on, get a little concealer here and there. Yeah, I know the word concealer. I have two daughters, so you'll do that. Or our teeth, you know, you'll brush your teeth or look at your clothes, make sure they all match, right? You know, nobody looks in the mirror in the morning and says, oh, my hair's bad. Face is bad, clothes don't match, here I come, world. All right, that's nobody. Nobody really does that. Even students, you know, and some of you guys know, some of the student styles today look like they just rolled out of bed, but I happen to know they actually plan to look that way, and there's work that goes into that. Nobody really does that. We have a standard for ourselves, right? The way we want to look, the way we want to present ourselves to the world, right? But think for a minute, what if your standard's off a little bit? So for instance, do you like my shirt this morning? Thank you very much. Uh, Please pass those compliments on to my wife, Andrea, because she picked it out. As a matter of fact, she picks out all of my clothes, all right? The best decision I ever made was when I turned my hair and my wardrobe over to my wife and said, you know what? Here I am. I'll be your human Ken doll. You can, you can dress me, you can fix my hair, you can do it all, all right? The reason that was the best decision I ever made is because I'm colorblind. Okay, now colorblind is kind of a medical misnomer, all right? It's not, not really blind to color, but I am blind to some colors. So I like to say if the world sees the 64 box of crayons, right? You know, the big one you know, that you salivated for when you were a kid, and you're like, please, mommy, I want that one. All right, if that's what the world sees, I see the little 16 box of Rosart crayons, okay? That's, that's me. So a lot of colors kind of look the same. So for instance, teal, I can't see it. Sometimes it looks blue, sometimes it looks green. I don't know. There was a point in our marriage, Andrea said, hey, will you go get me my teal necklace? And I walked back in and I looked, looked in the jewelry box and I'm, I don't know, I couldn't pick it out. I can't see the color teal. Another color I can't see is olive green. Now, I did not know for the longest time what olive green was. So when we were getting married, it was like, before actually we were even married, we were shopping for, for things and we were looking for a bedspread and Andrea would, would walk by and she would go, oh look, it's so beautiful. And it looked like this disgusting puke brown to me and I'm like, ugh. Why would I want to sleep under that? And she's like, oh, it's olive green. It's so beautiful. And that's when I realized I can't see olive green. It really is a disgusting color of brown to me. So I just want to say, if you're wearing olive green today, you look like barf. (laughs) 
You wore it, not me, I didn't do it. But that's just me, I can't see colors. And so if I wanna make sure that I look acceptable, I go with what my wife says. She picks it out, I put it on my body. My standard for color is a little off, and so I have to use one that is right. But what, what about other areas of our life? How do, we, how do we look at ourselves in the mirror and measure ourselves in other areas of our life? What about work? How do you, how do you measure how you're doing in your job? Is it, am I better than my coworker? Or am I better than someone else in my industry? Is our company doing better? Are we making more money than the other companies? What's your standard there? What about parenting? How do you know how you're doing when you look at yourself in the mirror as a parent? Is it because the people you know and you go, oh, my kids are better than theirs, I must be doing a good job? Or is it you read this book by these people who know parenting and you're like, oh my goodness, my kids are terrible. How do you, how do you measure parenting? Students, how, how do you measure how smart you think you are? Is it your grades? Is it that kid that got 100 on the, on the test that you got like a 70? What's our standard? What's your standard for spiritual maturity? How do you know if you're growing to become more like Christ? Is it your parents? Is it, is it a, a, the student pastor, if you're a student? Or is it Pastor Mike? Do you compare yourself to them? Where am I with that? Or maybe it's, maybe it's your favorite author. Is it Max Lucado or is it Priscilla Shirer? How do you know if you're becoming more like Christ? What's the mirror that you look in and compare your reflection to? Well, when it comes to growing to be more like Christ, there's one mirror, and that's the Bible. This is what God has given us to know if we're becoming more like Christ or not. And there are lots of great mirrors out there. Max Lucado, Priscilla Shirer, Pastor Mike, Pastor Chris. Well, maybe not him. We'll leave him off. But there are lots of great people that are doing a good job. But at the end of the day, they're people. And they are sinful just like we are. Our mirror is right here. Like my mama used to say, no ifs, ands, or buts. This is the standard God has designed for us. So we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about what does that standard look like? All right, take out your message notes, if you will, please. And, you brought, and if you brought your Bible, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. All right, and that's chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So right there, God gives us, these are the ways, these nine ways that we can know, are we growing to become more like Christ? Now, I don't want to keep us here from now until tomorrow. So instead of talking about all nine, we're going to pick three. So I prayed through it and I said, God, what, what do you want us to talk about? And I, I'm confident that these three fruits of the Spirit are what, what we want to talk about this morning. So take your pen and circle love, joy, and self-control. All nine of them are important, but we want to focus on those three. So the first way to know if you are growing to become more like Christ 
is this. Number one, I will choose to consistently give love to others regardless of how I feel. Now, of everything that you do, love is going to be the most important. You can do all other eight fruits of the Spirit. Those can be evident in your life. But if you don't have love, the Bible tells us that that is like the sound of a clanging cymbal. You have got to love people. And I'm not talking about, I love my mom and dad. I love my family. You know, the, that happy, joyy kind of love, you know. That's typically, it's easy to love people that love you back, Right? We're talking about the people who are difficult to love, people who bother you, people who are annoying. Okay, we're at church, cone of silence. There are people who you don't like, and that is totally okay, all right? You can admit it. You can say there are people that you don't get along with, all right? I like to call them sandpaper people because when you're around them, they just rub you raw. It's painful, right? Maybe that's just me, I don't know. But the way they talk to you, the tone of voice that they use, or their body language, and how they look down their nose at you, right? There are people that we just flat out don't get along with. Now, some of you are thinking right now, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your mother-in-law, <laughs> maybe it's me, I don't know. But there's people that you don't get along with and they rub you the wrong way, and it bothers you. But whoever they are, however many of them there are in your life, God calls us to love them. All right, so now, before I came here to the park, some of you may know, I was a principal at a Christian school. All right, and being a principal means I worked with a lot of parents. And in working with a lot of parents who love their children, Sometimes you don't always see eye to eye, right? There are some parents who are most definitely sandpaper people. <sighs> yes, it's true. You know. Okay, and if you don't know that, then you're probably that sandpaper parent, and you need to evaluate <laughs> how you deal with the teachers at your school, right? Okay. So, again, cone of silence, safe place. There are parents that are hard to deal with, okay? And I can think there's one particular parent that when we saw this parent approaching the school, we did the duck and cover. No one wanted to engage with this parent because they were caustic in how they dealt with us. It just, every meeting was condescension and unkindness and even we had the degrees in education, but they knew exactly how things ought to be done. It just, it was not a pleasant situation. So after one particularly unpleasant meeting, God really convicted me and I really felt bad for how I felt about that parent. And I said, you know what, God, okay. I am going to choose to love this parent regardless of how they treat me. So the next time that parent came in, put a smile on the face, I walked straight to him. How's it going? How's your day today? And every time I saw that parent, I would engage with them with a smile. How are you? And pretty soon, the frown went away. And it wasn't necessarily a smile back yet, but the, the frown went away. And eventually, my smile and handshake started to be met with pleasantries. And then we, as we kept going, I started to learn a little more about this parent. I learned that in their, in their industry, when you talk to someone, if you want to get anything done, if you want to be taken seriously, you have to say it in such a way and put this look on your face so that they know you're serious. Because if you don't, 
They're not going to take you seriously. Huh. That's how they interacted with me. And then I learned that their spouse had recently lost their job. And it was a financial strain. It was difficult for them to keep their kids in our school. And our school was college prep. And they wanted to make sure that their child did well in college. And so that was really, really important to them. And the more I started to learn about this parent, the more I started to see this parent in a different light. And all of our interactions changed. And when I left the school a month ago, this parent wrote me the nicest note, thanking me for investing in their family and for being someone they could trust. Wow. This parent went from someone that I didn't want to see walking towards the building to something completely different, someone that I would probably call a friend. All because I chose to love them. Now, I can't guarantee that this is going to happen for you every time, all right? I can't guarantee that everyone is going to have a happy ending, but I can guarantee you that when you choose to show the love of Christ to people, that they will see Jesus in you. Whether they'll admit it or not, they are going to see Jesus. You've got to choose to love them. So, do you want to grow in love? Do you want to be more Christ-like? The Bible tells us in John 13, 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Just to be real, you can't do it in your own strength. You can't. You need God's help. Without it, you're going to fail miserably. But the more you do it, the more you start to see people as Jesus sees them. And the more you start to see people as Jesus sees them, the easier it gets to show them love. Ask God, show me, help me to love people. And when you look in the mirror and you're able to see through the eyes of Jesus, that's how you know you're growing to become more like Christ in showing love. All right, the second fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about today is joy, all right? And if you're going to grow in joy, number two, you must say, I will choose to be joyful regardless of the circumstances. Now, having joy does not necessarily mean that you're one of those uber happy people all the time, right? You know the ones. They're like Dory from Finding Nemo, right? What's wrong, Mr. Grumpy Gills? I just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? You know those people. And they're the ones that get you right in the morning before you finished your cup of coffee, and they're like, how's it going? Sandpaper people, all of them. If that's you, stop it. Don't be that person. <laughs> all right? You know those kind of people, right? But that is not what joy, what joy is. That's not what God is saying here. Joy is not happiness. Now, joy often produces happiness, but happiness and joy are not the same thing. The joy the Bible is talking about is the joy that comes from knowing Christ, from having Jesus in your life, from knowing that I have sinned and the penalty of my sin has been paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. That's where true joy comes from. 
true joy gives you strength and gives you positive outlook and gives you hope when bad things come your way. Somebody that knew something about joy, the, the writer of this passage in Galatians is Paul. He and Silas were out preaching one day, and if you'll take your Bible and turn to me, it's Acts 16. Verse number 22, look what happened to Paul and Silas. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. All right, so they were out preaching, got arrested, they were ordered to be beaten and thrown in jail. Okay, now, I don't think we have a a good grasp on, on what getting beaten was back then. All right, because way, way back in the day, there weren't really a lot of rules for what beating someone looked like. All right, and there wasn't, there weren't security cameras with people watching to make sure that your beatings were appropriate. There were no lawyers with cell phone cameras waiting to pounce if you overbeat someone. I mean, really, back then, beating was within an inch of your life. And says they were flogged with rods and then thrown in the inner cell. And the inner cell, like there's no windows, there's no air circulation, okay? That's, if you're going to be in a cell, that's not the one to be in. And moreover, their feet were put in stocks, all right? And this is like stocks, like here's the boards, here's where the one ankle goes, here's the other one. Feet through there, lock it down. So think about as uncomfortable as you can be after having been beaten within an inch of your life. That was Paul and Silas. And the Bible tells us they were praying and singing hymns to God. That's true joy. That's the joy of their salvation in Christ. That's the kind of joy that allows you to hold the hand of a dying spouse and praise God for a life well lived. That's the joy that allows you to lose your job and still face every day with your head up and say, bless God. That's the kind of joy that allows you to take whatever comes your way, whatever evil, sorrow life can throw at you and say, God has a plan and he will work in all things for my good. That's the joy that the Bible is talking about. And it's a daily choice to live in that joy. Sometimes you have to make that choice two or three times a day. Choose joy. Now some of you, you don't know that joy yet. You haven't chosen to follow Christ. And if that's you today, I want to tell you, tap into that strength and that joy. Because you've been trying to live and thrive in life but you haven't had the source of true joy. So on the back of your message notes, there's some steps that will help you take that next step of following Christ. There's a new believer packet for you. Take that step and let us know. Let us walk in this journey with you. That's how you're gonna have the joy that you need to live in this life and with whatever comes your way. So finally, we've done love, we've done joy. Let's talk self-control. 
all right? To have self-control and see that right reflection in the mirror, you need to be able to say, number three, I will choose to exercise self-control regardless of what I desire. Regardless of what I desire. See, self-control is a biggie when it comes to, to our lives because self-control is the area that Satan can really get in and really cause mischief. All right, basically self-control is the, the decision between what I, my, what I know is right, my thinking mind, and then my emotions, which is what's gonna make me happy right now. The thinking knows what's best and wants to do what's best. The emotion says, I wanna be happy. Sometimes they're the same thing, very often they're not. And a loss of self-control typically means you spend more time over in the what's gonna make me happy. So for instance, Rice Krispie Treats are my kryptonite. I don't know why, but around Rice Krispie Treats, I lose control. Generally, I don't care for Rice Krispies. I don't particularly like marshmallows. But when you put those two together <laughs> in that magical, sweet, crunchy goodness, it is unstoppable. All right, you set a pan in front of me and I will eat the whole thing. I can be sitting and it doesn't matter where in the house it is and the smell of melting marshmallows and butter starts to waft through and then the next thing you hear that magical sound, the Rice Krispies going into the bowl and you're like, praise God. And Andrea knows she tries to hide it from me, but you can't outrun smell. And I will walk around the corner and I don't even wait for him to cool. I mean, my hands are in there, I'm grabbing and I have zero self-control when it comes to Rice Krispies. It is. But here's the thing. If I lose control and eat a whole pan of Rice Krispie Treats, I'll have a sugar rush and feel bloated for a day and that won't be pleasant. But at the end of the day, that's not earth shattering. My world is still gonna keep spinning. But what happens if you lose self-control with a new credit card? Or on social media and you just blast somebody? What happens if you lose self-control at work when you're treated unfairly? What happens if you lose self-control when you're disciplining, disciplining your child? What happens if you lose self-control with that person, not your spouse who's been flirting with you, and you end up having an affair? Those sorts of things, that's life-altering. And Satan knows that. That's why he likes to mess with you in self-control. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Not like a kitty cat who's gonna scratch you. Doesn't say you'll get a couple broken bones, maybe spend a little time in the hospital. Like a lion looking for someone to devour. And if you lack self-control, Satan will 
destroy you. And the only way to get it, the only way to do it, the only way to have self-control is to ask God for spirit control. You cannot do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit inside of you to show you the right choice and the right decision, to make the thinking choice and not the emotional choice. And this isn't necessarily just a one and done. This is a continual process. Whether it's something as simple as turning down a pan of Rice Krispie treats or something like getting up in the morning to make sure that you read the Bible and pray before you start your day or something serious like fighting alcoholism or sexual temptations. You need God's Holy Spirit inside of you and you need to ask him to help you and give you the strength to have the self-control through his spirit so that you can show that reflection of Christ when you interact with the world. So the fruits of the spirit again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the mirrors. When you look at yourself, this is how you know you're growing to become more like Jesus. That's how you know that your life is lining up with who God has designed you to be. Now, at the end of the day, we are all sinful people. The only one who was ever sinless is Jesus. But the beauty of God's grace is that when we fail, when we fall, all we have to do is ask forgiveness. When we turn around and we say, God, I have messed up, please forgive me, he is there with arms wide open, ready to hug you, pick you up, forgive you, and set you back on its path. All it requires from you is your commitment to follow him no matter what, and the humility to know that you need him every step of the way. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for gentle reminders that the mirror from which we must gauge our lives, God, is you and nothing else. Thank you for the Bible that you show us who we are, who you want us to be. Father, help us, help me, God, to have the strength to make the changes in our lives, God, and what we need to, what we need to do how to act, what we say, what we think. God, give us the ability to love the sandpaper people, to always trust in you and have joy. God, and to have the self-control to choose what is best so that you, God, are glorified in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, Find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.